The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor teacher, Harry Reeder. If Christ is your hope in death, He has to be your hope in life. Is He your life? Is He your hope in life? Then praise God. In Him, He is your hope in death. Fulfilled to be with Him in life everlasting. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word that we can sing, we can pray, we can read, we can preach. Thank You that its comforts rest not on us, Its comforts rest not upon our mental or emotional capacities. But your word instructs our minds and our hearts, our thoughts and our passions, that Christ is our hope in life and death, because in his his death, He saves us from our sins. In His life, He clothes us with His righteousness. So we will sing hallelujah. Salvation is from the Lord. Now come and teach us, Holy Spirit, that this words and its promises will be known, embraced, and transform our lives now on our way to be with Him then. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, after we read part of it, I want you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to keep looking back at this. As we come now, return to our Apostles' Creed series and the affirmation that we believe in the resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15, familiar text. Reminds you of conversations tonight at 6 p.m. And then also our various Christmas. We've got communion coming up. So if you'll be sure and get the reservation in so we can appropriately do it as safely as possible. But we're looking so much forward. I want to thank all of those who have worked hard so we could have a wonderful communion time and our Christmas outreach ministries and celebrations. This is retro time, and one of them, we're going back to the from the walk-through nativity to the drive-through nativity, but we still got to have volunteers to be the characters, so if you could do that, it'd be wonderful for you to contact Benny, and uh, we'll be having those outreach as well as Christmas Eve uh, services and, of course, the Christmas concert, which includes the drama, the ballet, and the uh, music and the orchestra and choir. Looking forward to it. Would you look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
This is God's word, and God's word is true, this word that is now read in your hearing. Now, slip down, if you would, to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You see, that's a rhetorical question, right? We proclaim Christ is raised from the dead. So how is it that some of you professing Corinthians can say there is no personal resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not, has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So, most of you know that creeds are not inventions external to the Bible. They're actually found in the Bible. They're found in various places. Titus 2, 11 through 14, 1 Corinthians 3. There are various places you'll find creeds, Deuteronomy 6, uh, in the Bible. A creed, whether it's one that's in the Bible or one that is written after the Bible has been given, but is based upon the truths that are in the Bible, like the Apostles' Creed, is only so good as it's faithful to God's Word, but it is good for a reason. It's good for a purpose. The creeds both in the Bible and the creeds from the Bible, outside the Bible, those creeds have three purposes. One, to be used in worship, because worship calls us to confess the truth. And so this, dis, this distillation of truth with a creed or a confession or a catechism can be used for confession in worship. Secondly, it is because uh, a creed is used to protect the church from false doctrine. Thirdly, it is used to disciple Christians in the faith, particularly around what that creed is focused upon. The Apostles' Creed was an effort by the, now watch this, the disciples of the disciples of the Apostles. In other words, these who knew the value of creeds began to develop a creed of the essentials of the faith the things most surely believed among us, and they put it in an economy of words. There's only 100 words in the Latin. Uh, it's a little bit more than that in the Greek and uh, uh, a little bit more than that uh, in English. But in Latin, it was 100 words. And in, this, and in this, it is Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, it is amassed together to give us these essential truths of the faith about the end of the second uh, in the second, maybe over spilling over into the third century. And uh, so that's what that's how we get the Apostles Creed for its purpose and its use. Now, I'd like for you to do a little if if uh, stuff with me just for a moment. What if 
the Apostles' Creed, that is, these biblical truths, these essentials, had been written in the first century uh, by, the, by the, um, the disciples of the apostles themselves. And, of course, it would have been the Apostles' Creed because it's coming from the work of the apostles led by the Spirit in terms of what is New Testament Christianity. And uh, so what if we, uh, what if uh, it had been not in the second and third century? What if it had been available to us in the first century? Let me go another if. What if I was living in the first century? No, I wasn't. I just want to make that clear. I wasn't. But what if I was? And thirdly, what if I decided to do a series of sermons on the Apostles' Creed in the first century? Now, that's exactly what I did living in the 21st century. I decided to do a series. Um, Why did I decide to do this series? Well, I told you at the beginning, but just in case you forgot, when I get to the end of the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to tell you again why uh, why I decided to do this series at this particular time. But I knew when I did that series that as soon as I got into that series, emails and text messages were to come to me. And I knew that all of them, not all of them, the vast majority of them would say one of three things or perhaps all three, uh, all three of the things. Number one, one question would be this. uh, What is that quick thing? I mean, what is that quick in the dead? I mean, is that did they get that from the title of a movie? No, they didn't. Uh, That why this quick and why the quick in the dead? A second one, getting a little bit more focused, would be, now, you know, I thought we were Reformed and Protestant. Why are we saying we believe in the the Holy Catholic Church? Why why do we do that? And then uh, the third one would be, the third one would be, of course, what does it mean that Jesus descended into hell or, in the original uh, Greek, into Hades? What does that mean, Sheol or Hades? Why would we say that? I knew those, I knew those questions were going to come and gladly received them and I've tried to walk you through the biblical answers and I commend, if you've got more questions, I commend you to them. But I can tell you, you would not have asked me any questions about those three if we had done it in the first century. Because you would have known the Greek word that, the two Greek words that are put together, the kataholic that we get Catholic from, it means universal. It means the part that becomes the whole. And so you would have known exactly what it means and that means the universal church, and then you would have known of the elect of God, and you would have known that the descended into Hades was actually a fulfillment of Psalm 16, that Jesus died a true death which separates body and soul, and his soul went to the intermediate state of Hades, the place of blessing in Hades called paradise, and um, and then would remain there for three days, his body in the tomb, his soul there, and then a after three days, his soul would come forth, his body would come out of the tomb, and he, united soul and body, would be resurrected for a 40-day ministry and then ascended to heaven. You would have known that because you would have been taught that, and, uh, and you would have, so those questions would not have come up, but you would have sent me a question. I'll tell you, let's do another if. Let's pretend in the first century there was email and text messages. I would have maybe gotten an email or a text message from you, particularly if you were a Christian who came from a Gentile background, and the one thing you would have asked me from the creed, why would we believe in the resurrection of the body? 
Why would we believe that? Isn't it interesting? Right now, you have no problem believing that. I mean, well, um, you may work through the issues, but the resurrection of the body, yeah, you expect it to be there. Now, remember, resurrection of the body is not talking directly about Jesus' resurrection. It's talking about the resurrected body of the believer. Why is it that they would have had a problem with that? Harry, how do you know they would have had a problem? Oh, I know it for two reasons. Let me tell you why they would have had a problem. Number one pro- reason is because, is because um, man-made pagan religions divided in two, th- two parts over the body. Some of the man-made pagan religions worshipped the body. Salvation was the body. You would have found that in places like Egypt. Thus, the embalming practices were developed. But the vast majority would have believed that which was influenced by the Greeks, which is the spiritual is good, the physical is bad. Salvation is liberation and deliverance from the body. You could see it in how they dealt with the dead. Those who made the idolatry of the body embalmed it, wanting to hang on to it, and did everything they could to deny the reality of the death of the body. Those who were Platonic, the Greek view of life, was, well, the body is evil, the body is just a little container, that, and that inside is the spirit. The whole point is to get liberated from the body, so they, they always burned the body, cremated the body, got rid of the body, because of their desire to never have anything else to do with it. Salvation was to get free from it. Now, that's why you can see at moments when the Apostle Paul it, right now, I just read a text from, from the Corinthians. Where was Corinth? It was a suburb just south of Athens. It was dominated by Greek philosophy. The intellectual capital of the world was Athens. The intellectual giants were um, men like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. Well, Plato is the guy that taught the Platonic view of life. And in that Platonic view of life, the upper story of deliverance is the spiritual. The lower story is the physical. And the whole point of salvation is to escape and be delivered from the physical. That's why when the Apostle Paul went to Athens and he preached in front of the philosophers at Athens in Acts chapter 17, it says they begin to mock him and ridicule him when? When he spoke of the resurrection of the body. Now there's two great lessons there. Two greatly important lessons. The first one is this, is that the resurrection of the body was despised by the pagan religions. One had the idolatry of the body. The other was to get rid of the body. And here was Christianity saying that the body had to be resurrected and it would be resurrected new, but it would be resurrected. Therefore, that was seen. Anybody that ever tells you that Christian doctrine developed out of wish fulfillment, why in the world would you hold to a doctrine and embrace it in order to have wish fulfillment when nobody wished it? Nobody wanted the body back. That's why they made fun of the doctrine, which tells you something else. The early church did not frame its preaching by what the audience wanted, 
but by what God revealed. If they framed it by what the audience wanted, they would have jettisoned the resurrection of the body. That didn't get a good hearing at Athens, and it wasn't getting a good hearing at Corinth. In fact, at Corinth, what they were saying was, they said, Harry, I don't know why you're preaching this sermon, because this resurrection body is not true. Well, they didn't say it to Harry. They said it to Paul. Well, you better be careful when you tell Paul something. You better be ready to defend it because the Apostle Paul goes after this. And he goes after it with clarity. You see, in opposition is biblical religion. And it shows up not only in life but also in death. Whether it's Old or New Testament, what did they do with the bodies? They didn't idolize them and worship them. No, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. But they always did it with reverence in laying aside the body. Why? Because what you do in life and death speaks theologically. And they laid it aside with reverence to make two statements. The body was made good. It's not evil. When God made the body, he said, it is good. It's sin that has corrupted the body just as it corrupts the soul. And the second thing is they laid the body aside in reverence because of the sure expectation of the resurrection. Abraham believed it. Joseph believed it. Jacob believed it. The patriarchs believed it. They believed in the resurrection. Although everyone around them either idolized the body or or despised the body. But they stood in contrast based upon what God had revealed to them. And so now we get to the Apostles' Creed. Let's look at it in its, let's look at this resurrection of the body in context and then just a little bit of the biblical content. And then I want to give you a takeaway to, uh, to go with this. So in the context of this, what do we know about the Apostles' Creed? Well, here's what we know. The Apostles' Creed is Trinitarian. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now what did God the Father do? He sent His Son Jesus. Therefore, the next paragraph is on the second person of the Trinity. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. That's who he is. Then it doesn't go into what he teaches, but it goes into what he did as our Savior. It says, and it goes first to his humiliation and then to his exaltation. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead. What happened to his body? Buried. What happened to his soul? Descended to Hades. He told the he told the uh, the criminal, uh, "Today you'll be with me in paradise." That's that part of blessing in Hades of the intermediate state for three days. Then what? On the third day, he rose again. The again refers to life. He came from death and its power, which could not hold him. He came to life. Then what does it say? It says that he then ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God, the father almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Now, what happens between his ascension and his coming? He sends Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, may I say this reverently? Then the Apostles' Creed gives you a two-fold look at the work product of the Holy Spirit until Jesus comes back. 
a twofold view of the work product of the Holy Spirit before Jesus comes back. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The first part of the work product. Now, here, here's what I'm saying. Jesus has finished his work product. He has redeemed. Remember, you just sang it. His finished work is done. He has redeemed his people from their sins. He has accomplished our redemption in his, bury, his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension. So he has finished his work of redemption. He now sends Holy Spirit to do his work on gathering and perfecting the redeemed to bring them to glory. Now, when the Holy Spirit does his work sent from the finished work of Christ, what is his work product? First of all, it is the assuredness. Jesus said when he finished his work, Father, all whom you've given me, I lose not one, but raise them up on the last day. In other words, all of the elect have been secured through Christ. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In Christ, Christ had redeemed. Father, I lose not one of them. Therefore, the Holy Spirit is doing his work and is bringing to glory the holy Catholic Church. That is the one perfect universal church of the elect from all of the nations. It is perfect. It is not mixed. It is triumphant. It has accomplished whenever that as that church is gathered in the heavens, it is gathered from its work on the earth and it now enters into its rest. The holy Catholic Church, that is the universal church of the elect of God from every tribe and nation, is assured through the finished work of Christ and the present work of the Holy Spirit. But there's not only the church triumphant, there's also the church militant. So he goes to the second thing, and that's this. The Holy Spirit and his work is is assuring the Holy Catholic Church for all eternity, pure and perfect and gathered and not one lost. But there is also his work in the church militant on earth, the communion of the saints together. We have a mission. We have a message. We have a ministry. We are the church militant on mission, on message, and in ministry until Christ comes and gathers up all of the church triumphant through the ministry of the church militant in this world. Boy, we've seen it this last week. Uh, just as, as um, what's his name? Bruce. Just as Bruce was praying. Did you hear him praying there? Did you hear him praying? Two have just left the church militant to the church triumphant this last week. Faithful servants of Christ here on mission, on message, in ministry. Now taken into the presence of God. Uh, One an octogenarian and then the other, what is 90 plus? I don't know. A 90 genarian. And then uh, now gloriously uh, in the presence of the Lord going to the church triumphant. Then he moves to a second dimension of the work product of the Holy Spirit. From the corporate, the church triumphant, of the elect, pure and perfect, the church militant, 
imperfect, on mission, on message, in ministry, as the communion of the saints, he then goes to the individuals that he's working on. And he gives three gospel blessings secured in Christ. Forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. Now listen to me please carefully. Those three are inseparable. To have life everlasting with a resurrected body, you have to have the forgiveness of sins. If you have the forgiveness of sins now, you will have a resurrected body then for the purpose of everlasting life with him and eternal joys. The three are inseparable. You can't pick and choose on this. You must believe and repent of your sins and come to Christ for forgiveness in order to gain Christ. And as you've gained Christ, then what you have is not only forgiveness, he has assured you of an everlasting body like his for an everlasting life to be with him. Now, listen carefully. Everyone's going to get a resurrected body. Everybody. But not for the same destinations. Some will have, an ever, will have a resurrected body to eternal condemnation if they have not come to Christ as Lord and Savior. It is appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. The earth, the land, the sea will give up its dead. And we must all appear before the judgment. The believer does not appear for the issue of salvation, but for the issue of stewardship. The unbeliever appears and will hear the verdict of condemnation. So I know you're going to get a resurrected body. The question is, where are you headed? And that comes back to the first blessing. Have you come to Christ for the remission of sins, forgiveness of sin? I love that word. I love when I, I love the three R's, uh, redemption, ransom, and remission. But that remission, in fact, can I ask you to maybe do something that most people, when I ask this, they won't do it. But it might be interesting. Just write the word remission out. The Bible says that in Christ we have remission of our sins. Just write the word remission out. Have you got it written out? Good. I'm glad to see. That's it. I think I saw three of you actually do that. So, uh, you see, remission right there. Well, let me ask you a question. What word do you see as a root of the word remission? What's the root of the word remission? This is not hard. Even East Carolina, even I can get this one. Mission. What is a mission? It is a task you are sent to do. Remission. Mission is a task you are sent to do. So what is remission of sins? It is the sending away of your sins from you. Your sins have been sent away. They have been sent away. How? By Christ, the sent one who was sent to save you from your sins. And when he saves you, he sends your sins with their guilt with their shame, away from you. 
How? By the cross, his atoning death. Let me keep trying to flesh this out for you. Have any of you owe money to anybody? Electric bill, anything like that? And uh, if you're still like me, you haven't left the 19th century yet, uh, you've got a letter and uh, that comes once a month with the bill. And the bill says, and they're so wonderful, they tell you what you owe that you need uh, to get remission, forgiveness for. But to get that forgiveness, they tell you how to do it. And they're so gracious, they'll put a little envelope in there. And what will it say? Write your check, put it in the envelope, and remit it to this address. For remission of the debt, you need to remit the payment for the debt. Well, that's what Jesus did. At the cross, Jesus took our sins on himself. And he, dare I say it? Mailed it to the bar of God's holy justice. Paid our debt, our penalty. And then he said, Tetelestai, paid in full. Your sins were taken away from you. The picture of this is gloriously given in the theater of the temple at Yom Kippur every uh, every year. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And on that day, a priest would take his hands and confess the sins of the people and place it on the scapegoat. And the scapegoat would be led out to take away the sins of the people to perish out in the wilderness. The scapegoat did what we call expiation. He took away the sins on the basis of what? The priest also laid his hands on a lamb who was sacrificed for propitiation to satisfy the dead. Now, the bloods of bulls and goat can't do it. This was the God's giving you the picture of what had to happen. And then God fulfills it. How? With his son, Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, and his son, Jesus, who went to Calvary outside the wall of the city and took our sins and buried them when he endured our condemnation, the wrath of God on the cross, and paid for them in full. Thus, we have Remission of sins. Can I move from economics to this same word in another field? And that other field is medical. The word remission, I've been a pastor long enough. And in my own case with, the, uh, with prostate cancer, I've heard it used in relationship to cancer. And the doctor will come and say, good news. Your sins, uh, your your cancer is in remission. And of course, you're so glad to hear that. But many times, the doctor will follow it up, but it could come back. But in Jesus, 
your sins are in remission. They have been sent away. Because Jesus was sent to pay for them. And when Jesus says, Tetelestai, when Paul affirms it, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven and your sins cannot come back with their guilt and shame. They've already been paid for. They've been done. God has dealt with them in his son. You are forgiven. You are forgiven in Christ. Now you got ahead of you a new body. Then you got ahead of you the best is yet to come. No pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no tears, no death, no crying. It is all the all the former things are done away with. And the new has come, not simply by promise and down payment, but in fulfillment. And he will give you a resurrected body transformed for that purpose. And that's what he does for you. The resurrected body. Now watch. The assurance of your forgiveness of sins is in Christ's atoning death. Your assurance of your new body is in Christ's resurrection. Notice how they say it in the text. Go with me back to 1 Corinthians 15. He says this. He said, why would you say there's no resurrection? For you to say there's no resurrection of the body is to say there's no resurrection of Christ. Why? Because your resurrected body is the result of his resurrection. And for you to say there is no resurrection is the same thing as saying that there is no resurrection for Christ. And then, if that's the case, our faith is futile. We're false witnesses of God. We're of most people most to be pitied. And then he goes on to say this. He said, Let, he, then, he then goes from the rhetorical to the factual. He says in the next, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 20, but here's the factual. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who are Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now stop right there. See, what is he telling you? In Jesus' first death, he what? Defeated his enemies. In his second coming, he will destroy them. In his first, he defeated sin, death, hell, grave, Satan. When he returns, he destroys them. In the place called hell. Second thing I want you to see from that is he accomplishes this for you in in someone who has come for you. I know some of you are sitting there thinking, I'm, I know this had to go through your mind while we were singing. I mean, we, Christ the Lord is risen today. Ah. And you're saying, did I miss something? Did we just skip over Christmas? I mean, where, did I miss something? Or maybe, you know, or maybe it was... Um, 
uh, maybe it was, you know, when are we going to get to Christmas? You just jumped to Easter here. Well, you know, Christmas, go read, go listen to joy, go sing to him joy to the world and see what it's dealing with in both the first and second advent of Christ. Oh, I got one. Y'all like Hark the Herald Angels Sing? How about this verse? Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no longer die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give us a second birth. He came to defeat the enemies. He'll come again and destroy them. And the forgiven will be with him for all eternity with a new body and a new heavens because they're in him. You see, he says, in Adam, you die. In Adam, we sinned and die. In the second Adam, Christ, we live. Because in Christ, he takes our sins and gives us his righteousness. And so we are cleansed, our sins are in remission, and we're clothed with his righteousness and accepted in the beloved. Brothers and sisters, this is, I'm getting so excited about this, I can't hardly stand it. I know I'm about out of time, so I'll rein in. But it's just absolutely glorious and wonderful to see what he has promised and what he does in and through his people in Adam. Now, let me try to illustrate. When Adam sinned, you sinned. When Adam died, you died. Then comes Christ, second Adam. When he paid for your sins, you're forgiven. You're in Christ. When he gives you and he gives you his righteousness. This is what we call federal headships. How we get saved. I mean, how many of you, 1969, some of you need to go read about it. His name was Neil Armstrong. He landed on what? Does anybody remember? The moon. Does anybody remember what he said? He said something and did something. Here's what he said. One small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. Then he went and planted a flag. So when he put the flag there, we were there as a nation. But he took a bigger scope than that. He had thought about it. The first thing he said was not a national thing, but a humanity thing. One small step for a man, but when I take this step, it is a giant leap for mankind. And you want to see it? Go back and listen to all of the reports. I wish you could have been there with I remember when I, I remember it. And you know what everybody was saying? Nobody. I never heard a single person say, boy, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. You know what I heard people say? We landed on the moon. And when Jesus came out of that grave... You came out. When Jesus paid for your sins, you were free. When that happened to Christ, in Christ, it happened for you who are in Christ. Well, I'm out of time, so let me just give you the let me give you the takeaway. Um, I'll pick up on some more of this later. Just. Tune back in next Sunday. Okay, we'll get to it again there. But let me just give you a couple of thoughts here about this. Here's just this basic thought. Christians do not believe we are saved for our bodies, nor from our bodies, but that we are saved from our sins. 
to our resurrected bodies for life everlasting. I know you didn't notice it, but I do want you to know this. Every song you sang, the confession, the songs, the hymns, the, the, uh, the readings, all of them had these three blessings. Forgiveness of sins, the new body, and life eternal. I have forgiveness. I will have a new body for life everlasting with the Savior, to be with Him forever and ever. You know, I meet so many people, they have a hard time believing they're going to get a new body for an eternal life because they don't feel forgiven. I cannot tell you how many times I have talked with folks. My heart breaks for them. They'll say, you know, Pastor, I just, I don't feel forgiven. I know what the Bible says. There's therefore now no condemnation. I know the Bible says, truly, truly, he who believes in me has eternal life. I know the Bible says that there is no charge against God's elect. There is therefore now no condemnation. I know all that. Pastor, I know all that, and I've turned from my sins, and I put my trust in Jesus, but I don't think I'm forgiven. I just don't feel forgiven. I struggled with that so many times, and then... I listened to R.C. one time, and he kind of helped me on this. And hopefully if I ever have to do it, and whenever I have to do it, I'll be very careful. But I'll never forget what R.C. said. He talked and shared. There was a particular man and his wife that were both with the same situation, and they just kept saying it. And he kept bringing them to the Scripture that brought assurance. You can know that you have eternal life in Christ. But they just, I just don't feel it. And then he looked at him and he said, my friend, I now tell you to repent. And they said, no, R.C., you didn't hear us. We have repented of our sins and put our trust in Jesus for forgiveness of sins. We just don't feel, we don't feel it. And he said, that's right. I'm not asking you to repent and come to Jesus. I believe you. You've repented and come to Jesus. I'm asking you to repent of elevating your feelings over God's Word. We just came out of a Reformation, didn't we? You remember the solas? Do you remember the foundational one? The Scripture alone is our final authority for faith and practice. Not our feelings. Not the world. But when Jesus says... There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You're forgiven. If Christ is your Lord and Savior by faith, you're forgiven. You have eternal life. You will have a new body to enjoy the praise of God for all eternity. Can I give you a little task? Here's my task. Go find a hymn on the resurrected body for believers. I finally found one. Now, I found, like we sing, hymns that in a verse will refer to it. 
because this affirmation is not about Christ's resurrection. It's our resurrection that's ultimately tied and effectively tied to Christ's resurrection. But it's our resurrection. I finally found one from the great hymn writer, Margaret Clarkson. May I just close by reading it to you? And if you want this, I'll get it to you. And somehow John is going to get us to sing this somewhere, somehow. I just didn't find it in time for this Sunday. But I finally found Here it is. And I'll close in prayer. In resurrection bodies, like Jesus' very own, then we'll rise to meet our Savior with joy around His throne. We'll marvel at the mercy that bids poor sinners come, be welcomed at His table and share His heavenly home. O joy of resurrection, all sin and sorrow pass, to see the face of Jesus and to be like Him at last, made perfect in His image, complete in Christ. His Son, in resurrection glory, will share the life He's won. O resurrection body, set free from pain and death, sin's curse forever vanquished by Christ's victorious breath. Lord, teach us in our trials your hidden way to trace, to walk by faith, discerning your mysteries of grace. O resurrection body, young, radiant, vibrant, free... (laughs) I was trying to sing this. When I got there, I just had to stop and laugh. I can just imagine me. I can imagine you. After we're there with our resurrected body, I don't know, a couple of hours into it, we're going to turn and say, you know, I hadn't felt this good in a long time. You're right. You never have. Oh, resurrection body that untouched by sin or the ability to sin, young, radiant, vibrant, free with powers unthought, Undreamed of, how rich your joys will be. Through endless years, you'll marvel, design, create, explore. In in resurrection bodies with wonder to worship him and adore. With holy joy, listen to this, this is the last one. With holy joy, Lord Jesus, we sing the life you give. The hope you hold before us. The strength by which we live. Lead on in sovereign mercy through all earth's troubled ways till resurrection bodies in that day will bring resurrection praise. Oh, man, it is so glorious to think of that. But listen, that body for life eternal is only gained For those who are in Christ, forgiven of our sins. You know, everything teaches. Paul goes on to say, look, the, the grain's got to fall and die to get the plant. The stars... Fish. He goes. He goes to astronomy. He goes to biology. He goes to botany. He goes to agronomy. He goes to pure agriculture. He goes to all of these things to show us the consistency of God's general revelation with His revelation that we will not all die. But would you, have you ever thought about this? Is that we are being added to paradise one by one? But on that day when Jesus come, we'll all come as one. With new bodies into a new heavens and a new earth. Will you be numbered with them? It really comes down to this. What say you of Jesus? 
Is he your Lord and Savior? If he is, I invite you to know the joys of forgiveness. Guilt and shame removed. The new body promised. And life evermore with resurrected bodies for resurrected praise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to be with your people today in your word and worship you, encourage one another, and just to, just to walk through these three gospel promises, gospel truths that are secured, our forgiveness of sins secured by Christ's atoning death, our resurrected bodies assured in his resurrection, and our eternal life proclaimed in his ascension. Jesus, I do pray and ask you that no one here is apart from this Savior, that they would come to him now, surrendering, repenting, putting their trust in his atoning death and his triumphant resurrection. Jesus, would you come and speak? Those who don't know you, give them eyes to see and ears to hear. To come to Christ. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.